This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on CityCast Madison. Judge Janet Protasewicz is now officially a Wisconsin Supreme Court justice. That's tipped the balance of power on the court to liberals for the first time in more than a decade. The Democrats who back Protasewicz have high hopes for undoing the changes seen while Republicans have controlled state government. Have we entered a new era of Wisconsin politics? UW-Madison political scientist Howard Schweber says yes, but it's complicated. He's here to give us the straight dope on what to expect from Judge Janet's court. It's Monday, August 7th. I'm Dylan Brogan, and here's what Madison's talking about. Thank you for joining us today on CityCast Madison. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Judge Janet Protasewicz, she joined the Wisconsin Supreme Court last week. Uh, how big of a deal is this for for Wisconsin politics? Is this like Aaron Rodgers leaving the Packers or Brett Favre leaving the Packers? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about the football analogy, so I'll, I'll just let that slide. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a huge deal. Uh, the court has been narrowly divided, but governed by a very... And conservative is, is, is kind of a weak word, a, a right-wing majority for a whole bunch of years now, more than a decade. Um, this swings the balance back toward what is, you know, a liberal majority. I have to add a cautionary note. So I don't love words conservative and liberal in this context just because it's not that they're meaningless, but they don't mean exactly the same thing about courts. One, the Wisconsin Supreme Court had become extraordinarily partisan uh, in terms of shielding both the, both themselves and other Republican candidates from uh, charges of unlawful campaign coordination and unlawful campaign funding, uh, intervening in elections and electoral processes. This this was a court that came within one vote, uh, declaring the 2020 Wisconsin electoral outcome void in, in pursuit of you know the very same Trump strategy that just produced a federal indictment. Well, we have Democratic and, and Republican-backed candidates, at least in the, the last few elections. So, I mean, do you think the Wisconsin Supreme Court is just more important than it used to be in, in terms of politics in Wisconsin? Well, I mean, yes, but this is – it's a long story. So if we go back uh, almost 20 years, business interests in Wisconsin disliked the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which was making rulings on things like tort liability uh, that businesses didn't like. So they launched a concentrated, calculated effort to politicize the court. Uh, in theory, even to this day, we have nonpartisan uh, judicial elections, but starting with the elections of Annette Ziegler and, and Justice Gableman, that changed. And they became heavily funded, heavily partisan, directly coordinated affairs run by initially the Republican Party. The Democrats were slow to catch up. And a mark of how slow they were to catch up is that when, when Annette Ziegler ran for re-election, she ran unopposed. The Democrats didn't even bother to go out and find someone to run against her. That won't happen again. Obviously, at this point, 
both parties are involved completely yeah. in the electoral process. And part of the reason is that the courts do a lot of really important stuff. But partly that becomes circular. The more politicized the court has become, the more eager it has been to, in, to, to intrude into highly political questions. And that cycle continues. I don't think that the new majority is, is politically hard-edged the way the previous majority was. Certainly, I think the new majority is sympathetic toward protection of rights, and particular things like, say, the right of abortion, which was a big issue in the campaign, and, just, and now Justice Perse, which you know, made a big point of making her position clear on that issue. Certainly, or I think everyone expects that the new majority will take action to at least partially undo the gerrymander that was brought into effect in 2010. Wisconsin is one of the most viciously gerrymandered states in the country. Uh, which is why Republicans control both houses of the legislature, despite the fact that most electoral cycles, they get a minority of the popular vote in those elections. That's something that is both partisan, on the one hand, it favors a particular party, and somewhat philosophical. How much should courts be involved uh, in ensuring that elections remain democratic? On both of those scores, the new majority's position is expected to be a very sharp shift uh, away from the one of the previous conservative majority. So let's just say that the the current maps are thrown out. I mean, what does that mean for like all the decisions that the the legislature made? There's no retroactive invalidation of all the laws made uh, under a distancing map. Although, I mean, you know, in some sort of theoretical sense, uh, uh, you can say there should be. Uh, there's a famous case that came up after the Civil War, which is what do we do with all the legal actions taken by Confederate states while they were Confederate states? Simple things, contracts, marriages, or, 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 was, was every contract of sale and every marriage contract suddenly that took place during those years suddenly void? Are all debts owed by the states suddenly void? And so on. Uh, and the answer was no, although Confederate war debts were void as, as declared in the 14th Amendment. Right. But, but you know, that, that problem obviously arose. So, no, it is not the case that if the districts are thrown out, everything the government's ever done is suddenly invalid. What it is, what it, what, what is the case, though, is going to become immediately a complicated and messy process. I would expect uh, to see referendum questions or attempts, at least, to bring referendum questions on the topic forward. You know, it's very hard to get a legislature to alter the system that put it in power voluntarily. Alabama is a good example. Um, yeah, their maps are just thrown out by the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, the maps were thrown out by the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court said, you said effectively you have to have two black districts, and Alabama is still saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go with one and try again, and they're going to go back to the Supreme Court and try their luck again. Uh, the story of redistricting is a fascinating one. Again, it was part of a national coordinated strategy after the red wave midterms of 2010 uh, that was wildly successful as a result of national gerrymandering. Uh, state politics has skewed disproportionately uh, toward Republicans, but basically ever since, for, for the decade plus since. We're now seeing the process of an attempt to push back, and it will take time. Yeah, no instant victories here with uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, whoever has the majority. I, I think that's right. One mustn't underestimate what a critical veto point player the court is. It's very obvious why so much money and so much political attention is being spent on these elections, and I don't think that's going to change. Conversely, it would be a big mistake to look the court to implement a policy agenda that one happens to think is desirable. Democrats seem like they can hardly contain their excitement that Justice Janet is on the bench. So there's a reason for that. And, and you went through a few of them. So you, we talked about the abortion ban and redistricting, also election laws. Do you see these coming up and making a big difference in terms of, you know, real policy in Wisconsin? I am absolutely certain there will be elect in 2024. There will be challenges to the electoral process. Uh, these will filter up to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. I expect this court's new majority to be much less eager to interfere in the operation of how elections are conducted than the previous 
majority was, just in general, right? So in that sense, there's a very direct and concrete outcome. I, I think the, the chances of challenging electoral outcomes in Wisconsin based on invented theories of fraud or speculative theories just got a whole lot thinner. The most significant role is one that's kind of under the radar. And that has to do with separation of powers. Uh, there have been several issues, several controversies in Wisconsin politics in recent years. You recall when Governor Evers took office, the legislature passed new legislation reducing his powers in certain areas. There have been controversies about agency heads who refused to leave. So those kinds of conflicts, I don't think we can be any, in any way sure, but it's possible that this court will take a very different tack from the court that we've had for the, the past decade. So Wisconsin has a very strange and unusual system. To, I mean, it's different from any other state of which I'm aware, in that it's a very, very fluid separation of power system. Power flows easily back and forth between the legislature and the executive by acts of legislature, by judicial decisions. Uh, and the various Wisconsin Supreme Courts have said this is fine with our state constitution. So it's, it's a fluid situation just in general. So what the legislature is allowed to do and what the governor is allowed to do, that kind of situation? Exactly. And when they are unlawfully interfering with each other. So when when is the legislature going too far interfering with what the attorney general is doing uh, or vice versa? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Former Governor Scott Walker, his Act 10, which essentially busted public sector unions uh, in the state. That's been in place for more than a decade now. Uh, have you heard any rumblings about that facing a new legal challenge? I'm not aware of a plausible challenge uh, that this court could or is likely to take up on that point. Lots of people thought Act 10 was a very bad idea. Uh, and of course, lots of other people supported it. But the argument that it violates the Wisconsin Constitution is not one that I've seen spelled out in a way that I find persuasive. Certainly not persuasive enough, I think, to tempt this court, this new majority, into exactly what you know conservatives are claiming is going to happen, which is our guys were hyperactivists on our behalf. Now you're going to be hyperactivists on, on behalf of progressives. I think this, I think Protosevich and I, I think others on the court whom we describe as liberal uh, are concerned about the reputation that Wisconsin Supreme Court has gotten. Historically, Wisconsin was a clean politics state. We always used to make fun of Illinois. Back in more than oh, 10 years ago now, almost 10 years ago, a place called the Sofra Center for Business Ethics out of Harvard Business School did a study of state court systems and found that Wisconsin's was among the most corrupt in the country. What they meant by corrupt was not that people were taking bribes in parking garages, but what they called legal corruption, the most prone to capture by special interests, the most prone to issuing rulings that are inexplicable other than as seeking advantage for people who, for example, donated to their campaigns, um, the most exposed to direct political influence. That was a big change in Wisconsin culture and Wisconsin judicial culture. Democrats, they want to get rid of Act 10. Maybe um, they see this new liberal majority as the way to do it. But just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's illegal, is what you're saying. Exactly. Or unconstitutional. And, it's, and you know, the Democrats have a long history of, of putting too much reliance on courts. Where this could directly make a difference is redistricting. So if, as 
many people expect, and, and I think I, I do too, this court partially or in whole strikes down the existing gerrymander and requires the legislature to draw new districts. Then a whole process is initiated. You know, then I presume the Republicans still control the legislature, so they will try to produce the most favorable new map that they think they can get away with. Evers will veto it. There'll be a fight about that. That might go to court. It will then come back down to be fought on again. A new plan will eventually adopt it. That will go to court. Right? This is this is not a one-stop event. This is an ongoing campaign. At the end of which there may be uh, districts drawn for Wisconsin that make it more plausible for Democratic candidates to take control of the legislature. If that were to happen, then of course the legislature would repeal Act 10. But I don't think there's any substitute. If you're someone who feels you know, deeply that Act 10 needs to be gotten rid of and teachers' unions need to be restored and, and, and all of those things, I don't think there's any substitute for the hard work of doing it through politics. I don't think that this new court majority is going to try to offer a shortcut. Conservative Justice Brian Hagedorn was interviewed by Upfront recently, and, and he said, you might as well get rid of us, referring to the court, if it's just going to be another arm of the usual political apparatus. But isn't that kind of exactly what the Democrats expect from Protozeo? It's being on the court to some degree? Um, if they do, I think they'll be disappointed. I, mean, I, know, I think Hagedorn is exactly right. I mean, he's a bit of a maverick, within, obviously, within conservative political circles. Because he didn't overturn the 2020 election. That's right. Uh, among other things, you know, what he did not add is, and for the last 10 years, that's exactly what this court has looked like. I think Hagerdorn is publicly, I, I don't know if the word is inviting or encouraging or asking his, his colleagues, including his new colleague, to move the court away from that position and from being viewed in that way. Yeah. Um, and I mean, did it strike you even as a little odd that Justice Hagerdorn like did a TV interview? Is that something that Supreme Court justices in Wisconsin do? Um, not very often. But uh, that just goes to my point that I think he was trying to say something very important. And I think he was speaking to multiple audiences. And I, I think he was speaking to the public and to his colleagues and saying, let's let this be, a, you know, let, let's return to being a court in the way we used to talk about being a court, uh, if we can, because if we keep going down this road, the outcome is very, very bad. And I think that the, the liberals on the court agree with him on that point. Do you think the state Supreme Court, and we've talked about this quite a bit uh, about when this partisanship nature really began. It sounds like the, the two, 2000s, but was it always this partisan? No, 2008. Very specifically, it's not always this partisan. This was by design. This was a, a strategy. It became a strategy that spread nationally. Conservatives realized that if you capture the state courts, you can do a lot of things. Um, they also discovered, for example, that if you capture local school boards, you can do a lot of things. And that was a big strategic shift. And in Wisconsin, uh, it was a very self-conscious, very deliberate strategic choice to politicize the court in order to get control of it in order to secure economic benefit for certain interests, uh, notably Wisconsin manufacturers and commerce. Problem is, or a problem is, it's very hard to run campaigns based on tort liability. <laughs> you know, these are issues that are tough to reduce to sound bites in television commercials. So very quickly, what started out as an effort to get control of the court in the interest of a more libertarian economic laws and legal principles than those that were in place turned into an outright culture wars capture of the court by what were first called Tea Party activists and later MAGA activists, right? By that branch, that sort of extreme branch uh, of the Republican Party. And the reasons, you know, to political scientists are very straightforward. It looks a lot like a primary. Turnout is low. Uh, in in off-year judicial elections, turnout is usually traditionally low, 20 and 25 percent. 
money mattered a lot in mobilizing people and more in getting people to the polls than it did in, for example, getting face recognition across the state. Specific issues aside, we can hope that this is a, a step away from that particular brink, although obviously we'll have to wait and see. The abortion issue and the districting issue, those are on the table. They're extraordinarily controversial. They are ex- extraordinarily politicized. I don't think there's any way around that. Ultimately, though, in both instances, we'll have to wait and see, but ultimately a lot of questions still will be decided by the legislatures, by the two houses of the Wisconsin legislature. So Judge Portisewitz's election in last April was the most expensive judicial race in the nation's history. And there's another liberal back justice, Ann Walsh Bradley, and she's been on the court for a long time. Her term is up in 2025. Do you expect that race to be as high profile as this last one? Absolutely. Um, if anything, more. I mean, first of all, we'll be past the 2024 election. I have no idea what the political landscape will look like at that moment, but it will look different. Uh, the motivation to, to have control of the court of the state court is not in any way diminished. If anything, it's increased. I mean, you know, one interesting backstory here. This is obviously a very complicated topic, but one interesting backstory is that the U.S. Supreme Court, in a whole slew of areas, has gotten out of the rights protecting business. I mean, abortion is only one example which has a result that rights questions have now filtered down to the states to be determined under state constitutions. That makes state Supreme Court decisions more important than they used to be. I suspect this is the new normal. Thank you for all your insight on what's happening with the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Professor Howard Schweber, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Have a good day. That was Howard Schweber newly retired professor of political science at UW-Madison. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Bottoms up, Bucky. Starting this fall, UW-Madison will be selling beer, wine, and hard seltzer at Badger basketball and hockey games. Previously, only fans in the Kohl Center's box suites were allowed to have a cold one at the game. Alcohol sales at Camp Randall during UW football games will still be prohibited. Universities making money off booze is a growing trend at college sports venues. Former UW-Madison Chancellor Rebecca Blank had opposed expanding alcohol sales at Badger games, but new UW Chancellor Jennifer Mnookin signed off on the change. And it's Madison Comedy Week. There are multiple comedy shows of varying styles and formats every night through August 13th at venues all around town including the sessions at McPike Park on Friday, August 11th. For details, see our show notes for a link. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Dylan Brogan. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this podcast with someone who thinks powdered wigs should make a comeback? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Until then. <laughs>